Hey everyone, this is Jason, and welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. For today's episode, we have Laura Zimmerman, the co-president of Operation Libro, a political movement based in Switzerland that has been finding innovative ways to combat the right-wing, nationalist, populist initiatives that are constantly being put forth for Swiss people to vote on. For some reason, I was shocked to find out that their parliament and much of their political discourse has been dominated by the Swiss People's Party, a conservative, right-wing party that has pushed their very anti-immigration and anti-Muslim agenda. A group of students saw the need for someone to speak up and take on these right-wing populists, and that is where Operation Libro came in. Laura and Operation Libro have been doing some incredible work, and I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. Hi, Jason. I'm so glad to have you on the pod. You're my first Swiss guest, which I've been looking forward to since moving to Switzerland late last year. So I'm going to guess that a lot of people who listen to the Bold Moves Only podcast don't know a lot about Swiss politics. And I'm sorry if I am underestimating my listeners, but I honestly practically knew nothing before moving here. And I was shocked to find out that a right-wing nationalist party, the Swiss People's Party, also known as SVP, hold the most seats in your parliament and has dictated the political agenda in Switzerland for many years. So can you maybe explain a bit more about who the SVP are and some of their main political positions? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I might start a, a little step uh, in before, I guess, because Switzerland is like very much spe special um, considering politics because we have a, a half direct democracy of uh, people's votes every three months, so four times a year. And that is actually important to explain the uh, phenomenon of the SVP because we used to have the right wing populist party, the SVP, using popular referendas and initiatives for their own, I would say, you know, when I would be nice, I would say for their, for their own political goals. When I would be not so nice, I would say uh, for their own propaganda. So um, they kind of abused uh, our direct democratic instruments to um, basically do political campaigning um, by uh, discriminating minorities here in Switzerland. Um, different minorities and it's uh, a very um th that started very early earlier than uh, right-wing populism like raised in in western europe or even the us um we've been having the the svp for a very long time um, and i remember uh, very much uh, my own first uh, political i i think debate that i realized when i was just 18 um, which was about uh, an in popular initiative on a ban on minarets here in Switzerland, which was adopted by a large majority of um, of Swiss people in 2007. And that was the start of a very long run uh, by a dominating political discourse by the SVP in Switzerland, uh, which was basically racist, which was basically discriminating and which was classical right-wing populism. So they were to like compliment them, they were really 
um, good in doing politics by understanding how the media landscape works in Switzerland. So they were provocating, so the media were, were basically talking about nothing else uh, than, you know, maybe uh, some visuals or key visuals from campaigns from the SVP. They framed their debates very intelligent, so they reached kind of a majority in Switzerland. I mean, the Swiss People's Party has like 30% of... Uh, of Swiss voters uh, behind them in Switzerland. So if they want to reach a majority, they need 20% more. And they reach them uh, very far into the liberal parties and the middle and centered parties uh, just by framing the debate very clever and uh, unfortunately very racist. So uh, that's about, in very short, uh, the phenomena of the SVP. And uh, yeah, I think... It was kind of an, yeah, an avant-garde of right-wing populism in Europe was uh, the SVP. I mean, there are several right-wing uh, populist parties, for example, the AfD in, in um, Germany, but also uh, Brexiteers, stuff like this. They were looking at Switzerland and looking how the SVP has done uh, so many, um, yeah, so many popular votes that they won. So this was kind of an early right-wing wave that we had in Switzerland and it's still lasting but it's peaked I guess and they are losing uh, from time to time which is good. <laughs> and yeah so as you just kind of mentioned like these anti-immigrant Islamophobic nationalist parties and movements have been gaining popularity throughout Europe like you said in Germany but also in Austria, the UK, Hungary, Italy, Poland just to name some more. So I know this may be a loaded question, but what is your explanation for why this is happening? No, that's uh, we we can't go through with it in this podcast, I guess. But in uh, in 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 very short, I I think it's 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 so complex. Um, uh, I think institutional politics have been relying on old concepts and old topics, also. And they haven't been realizing that society and the world and everything is changing, you know, and that, um, how can I explain this, that solutions for these changes are very complex and not as easy as populists tell uh, their voters, you know, they are. But what people want to hear are easy solutions to complex problems. And if, um, if I can maybe explain it a little bit uh, in very short like this, I think uh, that right-wing populists just told people what they wanted to hear and they created enemies, um, making them responsible for their problems or, the, or their sorrows or their fears. And that's a very psychological, um, easy way, I think, to uh, convince people and that works very easy for them. Um, so that's maybe a part of an explanation on why I think right-wing populism worked so well. And the other part, which I didn't go into, is um, at, uh, the upcoming, um, you know, meaning of uh, social media and politics. Yeah, I mean, something that I remember learning in undergrad is that there's a lot of evidence that as human beings, we do have a distinctive nature to define our tribe and then look beyond our tribe and define them as the enemy. Absolutely. It's a very easy thing to do, you know, but um, as a liberal, I, um, and as a humanist, I guess, I, I truly believe in, in 
a liberal society and in basic human rights for for everybody you know and um so for me um saying that some people or some groups of people um are just excluded from that and i am not is a, a very anti-liberal thing to do and that's the problem about right-wing populism you know that's kind of this white supremacist um approach coming to people and telling them you know you're a better person because you're born here and you have white skin and you're a man for instance is just in in the very core so racist um that i still cannot understand how so many people uh, or how right wing populists got so much support because it's very anti liberal and anti humanist and against every every human's interest i guess um to follow such ideas yeah i mean coming to geneva i definitely didn't expect that um but so also something i really would like to ask you about especially since i saw you in a debate with him and with another with his daughter um is christoph blocker and his impact on swiss politics because i feel yeah. like there are some correlations with him and donald trump and the trump family <laughs> yeah that's very um that's in fact it's very true um uh, both of them they are like super super rich you know christoph blocker uh, and donald trump but they managed to make people believe that they are just simple people from next door and that they care for the many people which they don't and they managed and i think christoph blocher managed to dominate swiss political discourse for almost 20 years in switzerland and that's extraordinary no one has ever done that before and he did that uh, with this exact um right wing populist you know anti-european anti-migration anti-islam um kind of politics if you can even uh, yeah it's politics in the end but so he was very successful in really dominating a political discourse and um you know blaming the political establishment for every problem and that's also a similarity to Donald Trump I and mean, in the right wing populist methods are in fact very easy to to recognize or to analyze but they are so efficient still even though they are so obvious so um they use the same methods they have um kind of similar biographies i guess and they are I would go so far and say they have both kind of a very strange personal fight going on um against the establishment and they were very successful with that unfortunately but they lost also both of them <laughs> <laughs> I mean he was also the co-founder of the Southern Africa Working Group which was a Swiss lobby group that supported the apartheid regime all the way to its demise mm. so how like i mean how is he still in the public eye let alone a significant player in swiss politics yeah you know in switzerland it's very discreet and and, and uh, you you don't see so many people going down of the political scandals or something so <clears throat> no um i mean uh, he has a kind of democratic legitimation because his party is the uh, the strongest party in parliament and it's right wing populist 
uh, he was federal counsel for a couple of years. So, and uh, he was just a singular figure in Swiss politics who was for many years so su successful in, within his own party, but also uh, in, in, in the whole political landscape in Switzerland. So maybe I, I still don't understand why people believe him when he says he's a, he's a simple person, just working people class, you know, working class people um, listen to him like, like no one uh, in this country, but he's just um, basically a, a billionaire. Um, doing some politics from his basically castle uh, at, the, at the Lake of Zurich. And that's very strange how that works out in the end because it's so uh, obvious for me what his um, political goals are. And uh, yeah. And this will be the last time that I mention Trump. But I feel like in the US, there were so many people that were ignited by the 2016 presidential election and his victory. Would you say that there were any particular moments throughout your life that really ignited you to become interested in politics and fight for what you believe is right? Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned the one before, there was this uh, popular vote on, on the ban on minarets and I, I couldn't imagine that it, it, would have, it would be adopted here in Switzerland and it did. So that was one moment I was just like 18, I could basically vote for the first time and uh, I, I, I knew I had to do something about this because this wasn't right to just discriminate, um, you know, uh, Muslim society here in Switzerland um, with right-wing populist popular initiatives. But um, the second one was the adoption of, the, uh, of an initiative in 2014 also in uh, a popular initiative um, by the SVP, which was the Mass Immigration Initiative. It was adopted by 50.3 votes uh, of Swiss peoples. And that led uh, to the founding of Operation Libero, the political movement um, I've been co-president of since almost five years now, because that was a moment where we really realized that it's not just enough to debate or to go vote, but to really do something. So we founded Operation Libero. So that would be my two moments where I really became an activist, I guess. And then in October of 2015, Switzerland learned that they would be voting on another popular initiative, the so-called Enforcement Initiative. Absolutely. Could you maybe talk a bit more about what that was? Mm. So, um, yeah, basically, um, <laughs> the SVP launched another popular initiative, which basically said that, um, you know, if you don't have Swiss passport, if you're a for foreigner in this country, and you become a criminal for some reason, you know, I don't know, you drive too fast, you drink a little too much, uh, you steal something, but also other, you know, um, criminal activities, you don't have a right to a fair trial, you just get expelled from the country and you don't have to come, uh, you're not allowed to come back. So basic instruments and principles from the rule of law were supposed, or that was what the SVP wanted, were supposed to be outruled for foreigners. And they wanted to create like two-class society, one with the Swiss passport and foreigners. So it's very anti-immigrant initiative. 
as well. And um, in the very beginning, it looked like it is going to be adopted as the other initiatives I was talking about before. There was like 60, in the first, you know, um, polls, there was uh, yeah, an adoption rate of 63% or something. Uh, but then a lot of political parties, civil society, and a lot of actors in Switzerland, um, amongst them also Operation Liberal, uh, managed to like really stand up against the SVP and really say, no, that's, that's enough. That's basic principles of rule of law, which are outranged here, and that's not acceptable. And we managed to turn it around, and uh, the initiative was uh, not adopted in the end, which led to kind of a, a tipping point of the SVP because after that they have been losing um, any initiative until last, no, Sunday, two weeks ago, where they managed to bring through a burqa ban here in Switzerland. Again, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, that pretty much put us in the spotlight of Swiss politics as Operation Liberal, and we were kind of the anti-SVP troop from that start point on. And, and what does that say about the ability of people to make positive change, especially young people? I mean, a group of students defeated the most powerful party in the country. Yeah, I think it's very, um, two things. In, in Switzerland, it's um, a very big privilege that we can vote about almost every issue um, of, of all the three months or four times a year. So um, there's a direct impact that you have four times a year. And um, I think you can, with really little money, I mean, we, we didn't have anything at the beginning of Operation Liberal. You can, and if you have some people who are willing to uh, spend some time concipating campaigns, doing social media, you know, um, really uh, make political activism, uh, then you can do a lot because uh, it's very easy nowadays. You have very easy access to um, go through to people, you know, with social media and stuff. And uh, you don't have to buy big advertisement spaces or something like this. So if you do that well, you don't need much money, which we didn't have at the beginning. And you can really move a majority in, in Switzerland and, you know, change the political discourse, which is basically what happened with the 2016 initiative. How many initiatives has Operation Libro taken on and won since 2015? Oh, uh, I, oh that's, uh, I, I haven't prepared for that. I think <laughs> uh, we have been winning at least seven more in a row afterwards, mostly... Um, um, European uh, initiatives, you know, uh, the anti-European discourse is something that the SVP was, you know, doing since 1992 or something. So I think it's seven or eight referendas and initiatives that we were able to win. We also lost a couple of them, I guess. But I, I think it's really not just about how many how many uh, popular votes we have been able to to win. It's really about political change, you know, and that's a bit of a shame because we couldn't, uh, for instance, uh, discuss a topic that we want to change or something because we were so busy fighting the SVP because they were just coming with another and another and another initiative. 
And now I think the political landscape has changed a little bit in Switzerland and it's also possible to, you know, really um, change something and do something on your own and maybe even do your own initiative and talk about topics that you wanted to talk about for a long time but couldn't because you were so busy fighting right-wing populism. (laughs) And what is Operation Libero's strategy for countering these initiatives? Like what are some of the most important Mm. aspects that make you successful? Yeah, Um, we want to change the political discourse and we, we do that by, I think we have a really cool team of, you know, uh, people who spend a lot of time for no money and uh, make this possible, and also donors, you know, who give. A, we all we, we're always um, financing our campaigns by crowdfunding. So uh, we have a crowd amongst us who supports us, which makes it possible uh, for us to do political campaigns. And I think the most important thing that we do, possibly differently than political parties here in Switzerland is we really think about a lot in the very beginning of the campaign you know we're we're very much debating which is the argument we want to straight out which is the framing the political framing we want to talk about and it's like if the SVP wants to talk about criminal foreigners for instance we want to talk about basic principles of rule of law and that's, I think, the difference. We, we're we not talking about criminal foreigners with the SVP. We want to talk about principles of rule of law with the SVP. And we force them to talk about these issues because they are so important, because they are, they are the very core of our liberal constitution and uh, our democracy in the end. So uh, that's what we did, which is force them to talk about the very core issues um, yeah, that were dangerous for our democracy also. And they, they were forced to talk about this. Um, whilst uh, other political parties just uh, were talking about criminal foreigners uh, with the SVP. And what we always want to do is we want to shift the discourse to the very core issue that a popular initiative or a referenda or any other topic is about from our per- perspective of view. And we don't just go into the framing, I, I say, um, of, of our opponents. So we spend a lot of work uh, on our campaigns and we don't just, you know, create a visual and say yes or no. So we really want to debate, I guess. And you're not a political party, but do you work directly with politicians at all that share similar values? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Not just... um, uh, politicians from political parties and it's always not not just us it's always a big alliance of actors here in Switzerland a, a mix um, of civil society actors but also political party actors and uh, yeah that's uh, that's what we do all the time absolutely and have you seen any other groups in Switzerland or outside of Switzerland take inspiration what you've done or do you think that this kind of model that you've created can really work <laughs> elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm super convinced of that. I, I encourage everyone, and uh, yeah, just to try to do something about something you care. <laughs> so it's a very basic thing to just do it and not just think about it. But um, yeah, I mean, there are so many inspirational organizations or people or groups who are doing such an amazing job in protecting basic democratic values 
And so I think we all inspire each other. So if you see or meet other people from other organizations and um, learn from each other and talk about, you know, problems or successes, and that's that's a very important thing. So I hope we inspire people. I hope. <laughs> and I hope that... Uh, uh, a lot of other movements are coming and uh, do stuff like we do or something completely else uh, to improve our democracy here in Switzerland. And kind of going on that again, like, so Bold Moves Only is trying to inspire and mobilize bold action. And I think we have yet to really find our stride, but we're working on it. Operation Libro has been extremely successful in doing this. So I'm wondering, what's your advice to me or anyone who wants to create something to inspire and mobilize bold action? The most important thing is that you're really convinced about what you want to do or what you want to tell people. And so um, don't let you give too many advice from others. That's maybe the first thing. But then it, it usually helps to, re to really know the media landscape in Switzerland, uh, to know the uh, the important stakeholders are working together and to really get some allies at, at, at first, you know, because there will be a time we had that with Operation Libero for almost like two or three years where everyone was like, um, who are you? Ah, you're this group of people. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. No, you can't talk um, with the with the grown up people at the big table, you know. So and we were just saying, OK, it'll, it'll be fine. I'm Laura. I'm just doing politics so you have to be patient and then you get rewards i guess because we never stopped believing in what we were doing with operation liberal and the public switzerland all um, only knows us since 2016 but actually operation liberal was founded two years ago and these two years we were just nobodies and suddenly things change uh, and that can go very fast and now we have a professional organization with seven employees and we're doing campaigns and we have a lot of things we want to do so um just never stop believing <laughs> it's a bit of a catchy phrase <laughs> just you have to have to um, just do what you're convinced of it, so, it works <laughs> so yeah. another thing i want to talk about is patriotism uh because i feel like in the united states it's been somewhat hijacked in the sense that it seems like people genuinely believe that because you are the flag around your back and scream USA, USA, like whoever screams at the loudest, it means that you love your country more. Yeah, yeah it's and crazy. I, I know that. <laughs> I, I know. So I, I, I hate that about the US. In fact, I don't understand it. It's just so big, patriotic. Yeah, but we have that too. <laughs> yeah, in a very different way, but yeah. But, but I mean, from what it seems like, it seems like your campaign is very patriotic in a sense. Um, and you do talk a lot about Swiss values. Yeah, uh, I mean, we talk about Swiss values. We talk about European values. So what we, what we do is we say we are constitutional patriots, you know. Uh, we, we, we defend our liberal constitution because she has basic human rights for everyone. She has very a good institutional um, framework of, of our Switzerland. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the last one to hold Swiss flag into, uh, you know, a TV or something and say I'm proud of being Swiss. I'm not, but I'm proud of our liberal constitution, uh, which is very good. 
in, in fact. So that's kind of a different kind of patriotism. But on the other hand, you cannot allow right-wing populists to manipulate or to use patriotic feelings for their own political purposes, because that's not patriotic. So in, from my point of view, and that's uh, very much the same as you mentioned with with uh, the US before, it doesn't matter who screams the loudest or uh, who has the biggest flag. It doesn't make you patriotic by showing a flag or it doesn't make you anti-patriotic by burning a flag in my point of view. But these are such flags or also other patriotic symbols are so strong that you can't allow right-wing populists to use them by themselves and uh, so you kind of have to jump into this debate but yeah patriotism is something very strange in fact i think definitely (laughs) um i mean it, it also seems that swiss politics are very polarized much like the u.s yeah, but we, we have a couple of parties in the middle. Uh, you, I mean, the U.S. is very special um, by only kind of having a two-party system. We do have a very diverse political landscape in Switzerland, but I agree with you that the polarization is um, getting further and further along, and that's because political parties in the middle have been or are so weak at the moment they don't have their own ideas they don't know what they want to do Uh, they're changing their opinions from time to time and they're just not very convincing and so in switzerland if you have a strong you know middle holding the poles together and guaranteeing that there is a place in between left and right and that's holding all of it together that's very important and the core of our political system, I guess, but it's just not functioning very uh, good at the moment. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we founded Operation Liberal, because we were so disappointed by, um, you know, moderate political parties, especially liberal parties in Switzerland. Yeah, I do think that more people more recently have come to recognize that the two-party system in the United States does not Mm. necessarily function uh, the best that it could. Mm. Yeah, but it's still, you know, I mean, things are getting better day by day, I think, or I hope, and I I mean, uh, every system has its, you know, good and bad sides, so, but I kind of totally agree with you that your political system is also a bit fucked up, if I can say so. And uh, I'm so glad that that the 2020 elections came out as they did. And that it seems like a, a nightmare has been coming to an end, but I think it's not the end. So there's still a lot to do and uh, yeah, a long way. <laughs> that, is, that is for sure. I, I think it's also important to talk about something that you had previously mentioned an initiative proposed by the SVP, which passed. Uh, it's the ban on face coverings, prohibiting the veils worn by Muslim women in public spaces. It was supported by 51.2% of Swiss people. And now Switzerland joins France, Denmark, the Netherlands, and Austria. What is your opinion 
on this vote and what is at stake when these kinds of initiatives pass? Mm. Yeah, it's to me, it, it hurts um, very much that still, uh, even after five years of watching the SVP getting weaker and weaker, they can still pass popular initiatives. And obviously uh, we were at Operation Liberal, we were fighting the ban. Um, so um, for us, it's also a loss. And it was a close loss, and it's still. I'm still thinking about you. You know what could have we been doing differently that uh, the campaign was more successful or something. So, um, yeah, I think it's just. A, it's very sad for Swiss society to you know pass such a ban in 2021, especially from a women's perspective. You know, we write in our constitution what women can or can't wear. It's very sad, um, but that's how Swiss politics works. Um, the, the initiative passed, so I have to kind of accept it and deal with it, yeah. And in the Swiss news, the passing was explained with people being against the oppression of Muslim women, but this is the opposite of what most feminists believe. Yeah, absolutely. So w would you say that there's a large disconnect with how to push for women's rights? Uh, I mean, Switzerland is uh, a third world country um, coming to women's rights. I mean, we have really basic issues here. Uh, we should or could talk about uh, starting from a huge pay gap that we have here in Switzerland. Uh, and that's basic women's rights not being pushed through here in Switzerland. And if the SVP starts an anti Islam or an Islamophobic initiative and says it really is against the oppression of Muslim women when they in parliament never vote in favor of women's rights. This is just disgusting. So um, it, we really uh, have to have to be honest here on, on where Switzerland stands considering equality between men and women. And there's a lot of work to do and it's not... Um, it's not the SVP who is, who is pushing uh, this process. So, no, that's not very accurate from them to do so. Yeah. <laughs> what is something about Switzerland that you think the world should know about? Hmm. I think Switzerland is the only or one of the only countries where you see your president or your federal ministers taking public train, saying hi to each other, not having bodyguards around, and just sitting in the train, doing their work, uh, going to work like everyone else. So that's very special in Switzerland. So you see federal councils in the train from Zurich to Bern, for instance, very often. And they have to buy a ticket like everyone else. They have to show it to the conductor and they're just treated like anyone else. And that's just... a a great thing about Switzerland. It's very normal. It's very mo modest. It's very not a big political show off. And I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's super cool. So last question, something I ask everyone, what would you say to someone who wants to make a positive impact, but doesn't know where to start? I would look around you know the social media in your city or town or village on um, what is going on there and then search for something like you know it's a bit difficult nowadays with covid but you know maybe an event 
or a panel discussion or something that interests you and then go there and talk to people or just write them emails, you know, if you find an organization that you like and you would like to, you know, participate or do something, then uh, just, you know, start and just do it. <laughs> That's what I would do. Absolutely. And what's the best way that people can support Operation Libero? Uh, they can support us by time, you know, by becoming an activist. So they can write our community manager an email and say, I want to participate. I want to do something. I want to, I don't know, constipate campaigns. I want to distribute flyers and stuff. I, I, I can do this. I can do that. So I want to participate. So that's one way. And uh, the other way is um, by supporting us with um, maybe a little money so that we can do our campaign. So Great. Well, thank you so much for joining the Bold Moves Only podcast. Thank you, Jason. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. I hope that even if you're not from Switzerland, you found this interesting and understand the importance of fighting right-wing populism everywhere in the world. Maybe you'll take inspiration from Lauda and Operation Libro and start something similar in your own country. Whatever you do, let's be bold. Have a great day.